from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. Learn more at aarp.org wv. The Charleston Gazette-Mail, using its CGM app to deliver the latest news, traffic, and weather alerts, keeping you in the know while you're on the go. Lumos Networks, online at lumosnetworks.com. West Virginia University, online at wvu.edu. Orion Strategies, professional public relations, government affairs, creative services, and research and polling with offices in Charleston, Buchanan, Martinsburg, Pittsburgh, and Columbus. Welcome to the Legislature Today from the State Capitol Building. I'm Suzanne Higgins. It's Day 50, Crossover Day, the last day for Senate bills to get out of the Senate and House bills to get out of the House, if they are to survive this session. Joining me, Senior Reporter Dave Mistich. Hi, Dave. Hey. Now, while there's been a lot of action in the Senate today, it's been a roller coaster ride over in the House, uh, beginning with the Campus Self-Defense Act. Bring us up to date. That's right. So this morning before the House floor session began, um, the House Rules Committee placed House Bill 2519, the campus carry bill, on the inactive calendar. Now, so they, they, they went to the floor. Um, Majority Leader Amy Summers had moved to get that, uh, that active calendar, uh, the, or to get that bill back on the active calendar. That would have required a two-thirds majority that was rejected. Uh, shortly after the floor session, though, the Rules Committee reversed course and they put it back on the active calendar on an 11 to 10 vote. And of course, this is shocking us. We all thought that we were, this was going to be taken up first thing today. Right, right. It was, it was a very, a, towards the very top of bills that were to be considered on the House floor today. So. And uh, another big uh, uh, happening over in the House today, uh, the Medicaid work requirements, uh, the Rules Committee in this, this second meeting today, they moved the bill to the inactive calendar uh, unless they, this Rules Committee meets again. Uh, very unlikely that the Medicaid work requirements bill is dead. And again, that two-thirds majority could be had on the floor, but, but you know, as of right now, it looks like campus carry is still on, Medicaid work requirements off. So. And there was other action in, in the House, of course. That's right, and, and there were some, some notable bills that did pass, and of course it's day 50, crossover day, uh, and I'll run through a quick list of some of those. Uh, the Medical Cannabis Vertical Integration Bill, that's House Bill 2079, it passed with virtually no debate. That's, it, that was on an 84 to 16 vote. Uh, there was a bill that would reinstate the state film tax credit, uh, that's House Bill 2941. Very lengthy debate on that, actually, and it passed um, on a 73 to 26 vote. We should note that that tax credit had been eliminated from state code in recent years. Another bill that was uh, hotly debated was the Tim Tebow bill, uh, which, were, which would allow homeschool students to participate in secondary school activities in public schools, private schools, parochial schools. Um, and we'll take a quick look at some of the debate on House Bill 3127, which, which is known as the Tim Tebow bill. Are these teams, school teams or community teams? Mr. Speaker, I, I, I ask each member to ask himself or herself that question 
and answer it before they vote on this. If indeed we pass this bill, we are saying they are community teams, not school teams. The heck with school spirit, the heck with uh, all, all kinds of things that go along with having these school sports teams. And I submit to you that if we do this, the only logical conclusion is that we must divorce these teams from the schools and have them be supported by the community, not by the schools. I am a homeschool parent, and I don't understand how is this equal to a student that is attending a public school. You can't tell me how the GPAs is gonna work. You can't tell me how the attendance is gonna work. You can't tell me how the disciplinary actions is gonna work. So I think this is a favoritism bill. And we all speak about choice and freedom, and I don't think it's fair. But if you're a homeschool kid, or if you're going to a private school that's smaller, that can't have a team, there is no high school team for football, and many of the other sports. And this is kind of a creation that we have done by the way we do our school system. So if the kid's a really good football player in primary school and middle school, that kid, he or she, has no place to go. So how do they get seen by that recruiter from WVU playing football? They might be the best football player in West Virginia, but there's no team for them to play on. There may be a baseball team or whatever because we've replaced those private organizations with our school system. Some homeschool parents don't want to have anything to do with the public schools. They want to be left alone. That's fine. That's their choice. But some of those kids do want to participate in their school. We always went to all the football games, and when my the kid was in middle school and high school, we supported the team. It was our community. We wanted to be a part of it. But the public school wouldn't let him back in unless he went by the requirements of spending half the day or more in the classes. And that defeated the purpose of why we were trying to educate him. We took education ahead of the extracurricular parts. But should he be penalized for those extracurricular parts? I don't think so. And Suzanne, uh, that bill, the Tim Tebow bill, House Bill 3127, rejected on a 46 to 52 vote. Another bill of note, the, that which would lower the severance tax on steam coal from 5% to 4% in its first year, would also take it down to 3% the following year. That bill um, uh, passed on an 88 to 11 vote. Okay, and uh, uh, unlike the Senate, the House will be going back in tonight. That's right. Uh, again, we all know 7 p.m. Of course, uh, the one that everyone's watching this evening is House Bill 2519, Campus Carry. And by my count, I think there's three other bills on third reading this evening. So. Okay, while you were watching the House, I was assigned to watch the Senate and a lot of fascinating uh, debate on multiple uh, multiple bills today. We're going to take a look at the first one. Um, the very first bill up for discussion this morning was the engrossed committee substitute for Senate Bill 105. And this created an offense of impaired operation of motor vehicles placing non-passengers at risk of physical injury. And this actually stems from a tragedy in uh, the Huntington area. We'll take a listen to that debate defining a new offense of endangering a person by impaired operating of a motor vehicle. Um, so, and it provides for a misdemeanor offense when a person 
uh, under the influence or um, operates a motor vehicle uh, and places a non-passenger at risk of physical injury. Uh, it's, it's a separate and distinct offense from ordinary DUI uh, and it arises, uh, and I'm, perhaps the bill's sponsor will address this, uh, the circumstances from the horrifying, truly horrifying circumstance in that occurred in Campbell County when someone um, having injected uh, self with uh, heroin drove a motor vehicle into a park where children play. This does arise from a horrific uh, event in Cabell County where uh, a lady shot heroin into her arm and then lost control of her vehicle and ran into a playground. Fortunately, no one was hurt. But it will, in fact, uh, add under these circumstances to non-passengers, third parties, whether they be children, adults, you know, anybody in the community, it will add an enhanced penalty for that outrageous set of circumstances in Irish Passage. And that bill passed 34 to nothing. Uh, the next bill we're going to take a look at, Senate Bill 326, that reorganizes the Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Management. And of course, this is a reaction to the gross inadequate response following the deadly floods of 2016. Let's take a listen to that remark. In public safety. The intent of the legislation is for the Adjunct General and the Homeland Security Advisor to work in, together, in tandem, to be more responsive to emergencies as they occur. The bill is being offered in order to streamline the government's response to emergencies and disasters in the wake of the last major flood event in the state. Also a key amendment offered in the committee, the bill would give the state the authority to demolish dilapidated and condemned buildings more efficiently in an effort to promote economic development. We've learned that, that we were not ready, um, and it has taken this long to try and get an organization together um, to ensure that when this does happen again, we're prepared and ready to go. Now, one thing that I think is really important that this bill doesn't necessarily address, but it's tied to, is the Joint Committee on Flooding. Joint Committee on Flooding has not met for several months now, and they play a vital role in this um, ongoing recovery and mitigation process. And if the system's gonna work, the Joint Committee on Flooding needs to be meeting and active. And I've asked. And that bill passed 33 to 1. And also today, the Senate has passed legislation that raises the age of selling and purchasing tobacco, vaping, and e cigarette products from 18 to 21. It also restricts the uh, smoking in a vehicle when minors are present. Uh, let's take a listen to some of those remarks. Tobacco's lawful in, uh, in America, in our country, in our state. And this bill does a lot of things. Uh, one, of it does, one of the things it does that bothers me the most is saying to parents, uh, you, are, you are not allowed to smoke around your children. That's the state supplanting the authority of the parent. This just drives me insane when we do this. Growing up, my parents both smoked. We didn't know what secondhand smoke was. And I was always had colds, runny nose, sore throats. But after I left home, those all cleared up. And it was because, you know, when I lived at home, I lived with two chain smokers. I mean, when we watched 
gun smoke on Saturday nights, I actually had to do this to clear the smoke to see the TV because they would light one up after another. And I understand the argument about freedom, but you got a responsibility, as the gentleman from Braxton County said yesterday, to your children. Than the opioid epidemic, alcoholism, AIDS, car crashes, murders, suicides combined. That's what we're turning our back on, and that's what we're allowing by not trying to do something. You know, we're putting a lot of lot of money. There's there's millions of dollars coming down from the federal government. We've got an Office of Drug Control Policy to help the opioid epidemic, but our kids are dying by the thousands of what we're lying with the tobacco epidemic, and we haven't even given a single dollar. It was line item uh, line item now. We got zero funding for tobacco cessation. This doesn't cost us anything. There's no fiscal note on this bill. This is a this is a simple measure that this body can do to make a a step to try, just to try not to get these kids addicted in the first place. And that bill passed 20 to 14. Uh, in another health-related bill, this is Senate Bill 464, this sought to modify the licensing requirements for telemedicine. And one of the things it sought to do was allow a first-time visit with a doctor to be over the phone. And that caused a great deal of concern. Now, there were Democrats who spoke for, Democrats who spoke against, Republicans who spoke for, and Republicans who spoke against. Let's go ahead and take a listen to this. Just simply talking on the telephone with someone and uh, becoming, uh, establishing a doctor-patient relationship over the phone, I think is scary. The Federation of State Medical Boards, which is a combination of all the board, medical boards in this country, are, came out against this. It puts patients at risk. What this bill does is it allows a doctor to provide care to a patient for the first time over the phone only. Right now, it's either face-to-face -face or, or through a video where the doctor can do probably one of the more important things a physician can do, and that's lay eyes on the patient. This is audio only. The studies that I've looked at, South Carolina, now they've got a much bigger population, but they saved $88 million just on urinary tract infections. I, I don't know, you know, I, again, I have a hard time going against people with a lot more knowledge than I do. That's my experience. Uh, we had no, no concerns um, over the long run with it operating within the county. Um, it, if it, you know, Certainly, you, you both make good points, um, but, but I think I have to vote for the bill. The doctor gets to make the decision whether the doctor wants to do this or that. It's solely their discretion. Nobody's forcing them to give a prescription that they're not quite confident of. In fact, so much so that the doctor could actually say, look, I hear you on the phone, I can't see you, you need to go to the doctor's office or to the emergency room. It's, it's a bill about putting money in people's pockets, and it's not a bill about, uh, oh, and I, I promise you, if someone calls without insurance, that, that, that's not who this is for, because they're not gonna be treated. They're not gonna, be, they're not gonna get through uh, the screening process if they don't have insurance. I promise you that, too. Uh, I just have to stand with the medical boards on this one, um, and I would urge a no vote. 
and it was a no vote. It was rejected 15 to 19 in the Senate. Another um, health-related bill uh, a lot of advocates were, were following, that was Senate Bill 564, and it expands the comprehensive uh, coverage of pregnant women through Medicaid, and that did pass as well. And um, the last clip that we want to look at uh, this evening is Senate Bill 522, creating the Special Road Repair Fund. And a lot of people, including the Senator himself, called it Randy's Dream, Senator Randy Smith. Um, all through the session, we've had multiple uh, legislators stand up and complain about the condition of our secondary roads. Uh, we will hear from the sponsor, Senator, uh, Senator Smith, just what this road pair refund would do. The bill provides, however, that each county is guaranteed at least $1 million. The division is granted emergency rulemaking authority to perfect the funding formula within the limits set forth within the bill. If 70% of the core maintenance is not completed in the county, the bill requires that the Division of Highways contract with private vendors through a bidding process to conduct the work. If greater than 70% of the core maintenance is done, then the Division of Highways can perform the, works, the work themselves or contract with a private vendor. The bill provides that the type of work for which the funds can be used is pothole repairs, paving, ditching, and mowing. The bill requires reporting to the Joint Committee on Government Finance, and there's also a required audit by the legislative auditor. Uh, Mr. President, I urge passage and be glad to answer any questions. Is there further discussion? Further discussion? Not. Question for the Senator. Shall the bill pass? All those in favor will vote yay. Those opposed will vote nay. The clerk will prepare the machine. Has every member voted? Has every member voted? So the clerk will close the machine and ascertain the results. On this question being 34 yays, zero nays, zero absent, not voting. More than the majority of those present in voting having voted in the affirmative, I declare the bill passed. The junior senator. And of course, there was a lot more action on the Senate. You can check our website at wvpubcast.org for more. The very first Senate bill introduced this session is in the House Finance Committee. Its impact, if passed, could be transformational on several fronts, according to our guest this evening. Joining us is the Chancellor of the West Virginia Community and Technical College System, Dr. Sarah Tucker. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Now, uh, you have feedback that leaves you very optimistic that this bill will indeed pass this session. I'm extremely optimistic that it will pass this session. I have been very pleased with my discussions, um, both with House members and obviously, you know, the Senate passed it out unanimously um, about their perceptions of the bill and what it can do for West Virginia going forward. Um, bef before we talk about that transformational uh, impact that you that you predict, um, let's talk about uh, generally what this bill does. It is not free tuition for all. It is what we call, we've been referring to as the last dollar in grant program. There are conditions. Mm -hmm. Tell us what those are. Right, so we've, we've heard a lot of debate about whether or not this is an entitlement program and I would say uh, pretty robustly that it is not. It is in fact a last dollar in program as you stated. Students are going to be required to fill out the FAFSA. They, you will find out um, based upon that FAFSA return how much. And the FAFSA is for those who don't have college kids. 
It's the free financial aid form that you have to find out to find out how much money you can receive in Pell and other, other federal loan programs. So Pell is a grant program that will tell you how much money you can receive in Pell. Um, so you add the money that you'd receive from Pell to any money that you would receive in state aid, like the Promise Scholarship or the Higher Ed Grant Program or the Higher Education Adult Part-Time Student Program. You put all that money together and then you take the cost of tuition at community colleges, that's an average cost of $40,040, and you subtract all that money out, and whatever is left over is what gets paid for by this WV Invest grant. Now, um, we call it the Community and Technical College um, uh, grant program, but as you as you mentioned a, a moment ago, it has expanded. It is not exclusively for technical uh, colleges anymore in the present form. Correct. In the present form, it includes um, all public and private institutions, two-year and four-year, up to their first two years of technical training. So it does still have to be in a field that's in high demand within the state of West Virginia, um, and it caps the tuition average at four thousand and forty dollars for all. Of of those other institutions. Okay, and we have a map that we want to go to and take a look at, at the technical college system. We have schools, nine schools statewide, Martinsburg, South Charleston, Moorfield, Huntington, Beaver, Fairmont, Mount Gay, Wheeling, and Parkersburg. So very quickly, the impact on, on uh, the, the applicants, the students themselves. So we know by polling our potential student body that the number one reason that people are not going back to college is because they're afraid of the cost of college. We also know that one of the number one reasons that they drop out is because of the cost of college. And it's not looking at a three or $4,000 bill, it's looking at a few hundred dollars that actually stands in the way between them having a minimum wage job and them having a sixty to seventy thousand dollar a year job there is a huge economic impact for our state if we can get these folks who just need a little bit of help to where they can complete college and enter the workforce. And it fits right in with, um, with the focus, the stated focus of both parties, economic development, getting uh, a bigger, more active labor force. And this has the Chamber of Commerce support and, and every, every other business and industry. What industries are really targeted within your schools? What programs are really helping our own businesses? Sure, so we have four different industries that we sort of target uh, as a system. That's the healthcare industry, IT, energy and manufacturing. We find that that's sort of within the wheelhouse of the community and technical college system. Each of our colleges partner strategically with companies in, in industries that are outside of those four areas and, as well, but partner with many companies within those four areas to make sure that the programs that they are teaching are in fact the programs that those companies need in order to be successful. And is the, the CTCS, the system, is it prepared for this kind of transformational change. We are. We are. How, are, how do you prepare for something like this? Well, we've been doing some professional development around it. I've been talking a lot with our, uh, our partners in Tennessee to try to make sure that we have things in place in West Virginia the same way that they have in place uh, in Tennessee so that we know, you know what, exactly what it is that we're going to need to be doing. I've spoken a lot with the presidents about this new influx of students that we're going to have and the increased student services that we're going to need to have if this bill is to pass. Um, I've also talked with them a lot, you know, we talk about this being the free 
free community college bill, but there is still a, a big aspect of this bill that is a partnership with K-12 and making sure that we're providing opportunities um, for our K-12 students to get into technical training, to be successful, and to go into college. That's just a fascinating concept that I, that you know I'm just not familiar with what what does that look like K through to, K through 12 well we're I, I would ultimately like to hope to be able to, to take this all the way back to middle school and maybe even take it to elementary school at the time being we're going to be working with high school students and trying to make sure that our high school students know what jobs are available to them and that while they're in high school they can be taking courses towards college credit so that once they graduate they don't have to go through a one-year certificate program or a two-year associate degree program they're already going to have credits to get them on their way and so in the in the couple moments left that, that we have what are some of the uh, the other points that you'd like to make or the messages you'd want to, to give to lawmakers at this point? So, you know, I, I know everyone's always nervous about, about putting money towards something, right? We've had a series of years with budget cuts, and so this is really the first year um, that some folks are breathing sighs of relief. I want people to know that the community and technical colleges are a really safe bet on an investment. Um, annually, we return about $1.2 billion to the state's economy, and that's because our graduates are West Virginians who stay in West Virginia and take jobs in West Virginia. They pay taxes in West Virginia. Um, and so we have a very significant impact on the economy. We also have a significant impact um, as far as if you look at return on investments for um, society writ large, because our folks are getting trained, they're less likely to be in jail, they're less likely to use different social welfare programs, and that's a huge return on investment for the state um, at, at a tune of eight to one, eight to one dollar. So, you know, I, I think we have a lot to offer, um, and I hope, I hope that we can make this through House Finance. Chancellor of the West Virginia Community and Technical College, Dr. Sarah Tucker. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Tomorrow on the legislature today, the House's foster care bill is on the agenda in the Senate's House and Human Resource Committee. We'll have that discussion tomorrow night. I'm Suzanne Higgins. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us. Have a great evening.